from the Center for the Study of Art and Community. This is Change the Story, Change the World. My name is Bill Cleveland. During the pandemic, there were times when I figuratively and literally lost sight of my personal horizon line, which not only left me feeling adrift, but in some cases, really scared. Since then, I find myself increasingly obsessed by the need for perspective, which of course is the first thing to go when that fog obscures the horizon. I've also concluded that some of that fog had nothing to do with the pandemic and everything to do with the perspective-adverse nature of our three-second headline-dominated digital world. As I've mentioned in the past, one of the things that is vexing me about the podcast universe is that each story, each conversation is just a snapshot in time. Here's the story and a little historic perspective up to this point, but who knows what will come of it, which can be frustrating to a nosy, curious researcher like me who likes to keep track of stuff. So, since I don't have a working time machine, I've decided that the only remedy here is to treat these podcast episodes as chapters in a continuing story, which I have an obligation to catch up to and report on from time to time. So, about a month ago, in episode 80, we shared the first of these revisitations with a fascinating update from poet-provocateur Alice Lovelace. It's been said that we've been traveling in an increasingly changed constant landscape, and that certainly proved to be the case with Alice, who had moved more than her share of mountains since we last spoke. In this episode, we're going to check back in with artist-educator Henry Frank. Now, back in October 2021, in episode 34, we spoke to Henry about his remarkable journey from literally rotting in San Quentin as a lifer, with little or no hope of ever rejoining the free world, to finding both freedom and a community eager to learn from him in his new roles as an artist, a teacher, and a healer embracing his Yurok and Pomo cultures. Needless to say, this was a saga of change. And as we discovered in our recent visit, a story whose impact has continued to unfold in both powerful and surprising ways over the past two years. Here are three amazing new chapters that Henry shared about that unfolding. Part one, Smiley. The first of these stories concerns a bear, or more specifically, a 60-year-old golden grizzly bear pelt that was gifted to Henry by a close friend who had become aware of his strong interest in the bear-centered healing traditions of his people. He said, I'm giving it to you because I know it'll be taken care of. And I said, thank you. And so, you know, from that point on, I've been taking care of her, found out that she was a female. And then with my wife, we started doing ceremonies for her in the winter to put her to sleep. And then we would do a wakening ceremony in the spring and did that for four or five years. And then my spiritual leader from San Quentin came over because I needed some red tail hawk feathers to finish my drum. But he showed up on the day when we were doing the sleeping ceremony. And I said, hey, you want to come in and put my bear to sleep? He said, what? I said, you want to come in? We're doing a sleeping ceremony. He's like, you got a bear? I said, yeah. And he's like, I knew it. I knew you were a bear. I'm like, yeah. 
So they came in, we did our whole thing. And during that time, he's like, I knew it. I'm going to get you into the bear clan. I'm going to get you to the bear chief. I knew it, Hank. I knew it. And with Hector, he runs on Indian time. So it could happen the next day or it could happen 10 years from now, but it'll happen. And then nothing else. <laughs> Just a year later, he calls him and said, hey, Hank, I talked to Bear Chief. He wants to meet you, so have your bear and, and let me know if I can pick you up on Saturday. And so I was just like, okay. And I'm just like, the imposter syndrome. Am I Indian enough? Am I strong enough? Do I have the endurance? Is my bear good enough? So I said, I don't know. So I didn't call him back. And me and my wife have been going to Yosemite for about, say about five years. I mean, we always go and look for bears. We never came across a bear. So this time we go up to Tuolumne uh, Meadows and we got out and we were walking. My wife says, I think I see a bear. We're like, no way. So we come back and it was a mama bear with a cub. And she was teaching them how to tear the bark off for the termites and grub hunting. And we sat with her for about two or three hours. And then she came all the way. I mean, I got within 40 feet of her fantastic photos and of her baby. But I know not to get in between those two. So I was always aware of where everybody was. And then she walked off and that was it. So I said, all right, let's go. So we drive down to where the meadows are and... There's another bear in the middle of the field, like a big one. I said, oh my God. So before we even stopped, I was already down the hill with my camera and walking up to him and just taking pictures. And then we went on. So that's three bears already. And then as we were leaving, there was a fourth bear blocking the way on the exit. So I jumped out and get on that side and take some pictures as he goes up the hill. And I jump back in the car and we're driving down now from Yosemite and I was like, holy cow, I can't believe we just saw four bears after five years, all in one day. And then it hit me, the bear dance. And I just start crying, it just started. And I was like, oh my goodness, I said, it's a sign, honey. She said, I know. And so once I got down to Merced, as soon as I got a cell phone, I called Hector. I said, hey, Hector, I'm ready to go, which was three days later. And he's like, I'll be there at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so he came and put my bear in the back, jumped in with him and his boys. And we went up there and I met the the lead bear there. And he said, Hector's been telling me about you. I said, yeah. He said, you have a bear? I said, I do. Where is it? I said, she's in the car. Well, let me see her. So come out. He said, oh my God, is that a grizzly? I said, yeah. So I told him the story, told him what's been going on. I said, everybody can tell that she was well taken care of because did the ceremonies and all that stuff and smudged her down and... He said, all right, we just asked you to come up just to meet. Can't sweat and this and that. And as we're talking, he's like, you know what? He's like, you want to sweat with us? I'm like, yeah, I'll sweat with you. He's like, he's like, no, if you sweat with us, you're a bear because you're going to have to put your hide up on that lodge over there. That's a life commitment. There's no violence. There's no disrespecting your women. There's no drugs, alcohol, stuff like this. I said, I can do that. That's what I'm doing now. And he said, Hector, you're his wingman. He smudged me down. And my bear, her name's Miley. So I prayed with Smiley, put her up on a lodge, sweat it. And then I danced that night. And it was for like four and a half hours. And in the middle of it, I was like really feeling Smiley on me. And one of the brothers stopped and he said, that bear looks, looks a little heavy. Is she heavy? And I said, yeah. And he said, is that because you got packer around? And he, I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's where you're messing up. He said, you're not packing that bear. That bear is carrying you. 
Mm. Once you understand that, you won't even feel that bear on you. And, and that's what happened. I let go of all the, oh, this is too heavy, how much longer, all that stuff. Got out of that and got into the spirit realm and the prayers and finished out the night. And, and I knew I was home. That was where I was supposed to be. That's where I belong. And the, and the dance is a, a, hearing, a healing ceremony for the, the community members. So the people that come, they come to get help, get some medicine. And if it's us or if it's them just seeing this bear or is it creator or all of it all together. But people get healed there from all kinds of stuff. And that's what I do. And I'm just blessed that creator let me do this. What and an I'm, honor. I'm this bear came to me. I mean, you got to think about it. Like in the great scheme of life that this bear was killed like 50, 60 years ago to meet me to get her second life in that arbor. Part two, Legoland. In July of 2022, Henry received an invitation from the Nathaniel R. Jones Center for Race, Gender, and Social Justice at the University of Cincinnati and the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center to participate in a symposium called Marking Time, Art in the Age of Mass Incarceration. The symposium and exhibition were curated by Dr. Nicole R. Fleetwood, the author of the National Book Award-winning book of the same name. In this story, Henry describes his adventures in the academy and gallery worlds and how one thing led to another and another and another. So I was uh, invited to the Marking Time Symposium, and I'm just a panel of being formerly incarcerated, so I have the lived experience, and, and plus being an artist and understanding how that art really helped guide me through those troubled waters while I was inside. And I brought a little reel, PowerPoint, with some of my diverse work, acrylics, printing, and then my Lego prison. So I've been just yeah. working in Legos. And I did a full prison with three tiers, a yard and all that stuff, plus a visiting room and a transport bus. And they all go together. And and afterwards, I just went over and Nicole came up and shook my hand and thanked me for being there. The next day we were at lunch and I happened to sit next to Nicole. and We were chopping it up like we knew each other forever. And something just said, this is the moment. And I said, hey, Nicole, can I stop this really super quick? I don't want to lose the flow, but can I sell myself for a second? She said, of course, Henry, what do you got? I said, "Did you do you remember the Lego prisons and the Lego sculptures that you saw yesterday in the reel? And she's like, yeah, those are amazing. I said, they need a place. They need a place to be seen. And so she said, all right, I'll see what I can do. And I didn't hear from her probably for a couple of weeks. So I said, okay, that was cool. At least she liked it. And then an email comes through talking about, hey, I want all the dimensions for your Legos and how much do they weigh? And so I gave her all the information and she said, can't get it in now, but the next one, and that was the Brown University. And she wanted the visiting room and the transport bus. And I said, cool. And so she said, how do you want to do it? I said, probably just mail it. And then she said, no, Henry, we, you can either mail it in or we can fly you out to Brown University and you can install it into the gallery yourself. So what would you like? I said, I like to install it myself. Okay, then we'll set that up. And I was like, I have an assistant and they're like, bring her too. And just so happens she's my wife because I've had this stuff with my shoulders. So she does a lot of the installing work. 
from the beginning. They brought us out, put us out there, and we got to get, stay for the opening reception. I mean, we were treated really good. And then it was a, a hit, and I, along with all the other great artists in there. So it was an honor to be amongst them. And man, that really changed my world because this is her traveling exhibit. And so now I'm a part of it, and now I'm in Harlem up there, and they flew us out. They flew me out for the opening of that, and that was just amazing. Afterwards, I got nominated for a Art for Justice grant. And you only can apply if you've been invited. I was invited by Nicole. So once you get nominated, you know, it's up to you to get yourself in there. And they're like, oh, you only can do five pages and that's it. And the closest thing I can relate that to, that process, was like going to parole board. It was like, oh. instead of like, how did I get to a criminal mindset? And then how did I get out? And how am I going to maintain that mindset? It was about how did you start your art? Where's your art now? Where do you want your art to go? And how does it affect the people that see it? I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> like, I'm not a academically trained artist. I'm just an artist. And so I was like, dang, this is, I mean, I don't know how hard it is to write a dissertation, but <laughs> I think this was damn near close to it. I mean, I put about 35 days into it, just, just doing it over and over, trimming fat, this and that. And then I had a couple people look it over. And when I got done with that, and I felt like I was in front of that board again, waiting to see if I get parole or not. And I sent it in and I figured if I don't get this, I am not ever going to write another grant proposal again because I don't know what else I could do more. And about, I think, six months went by and I get this phone call and this lady was on the phone and she was so excited. And I'm with the Art for Justice Fund and this and that and I just want the call to let you know that we have granted you your grant. And I was like, what? And she's like, oh my God. And like, I start crying. I'm on speaker. My wife starts crying. And I'm just like, well, and and not only they give me what I requested, they gave me the full amount. So it was like, and she's like, we need your art out there. I said, oh my God. I said, you don't know what it means to me. And she said, Henry, no. And she was crying. She's like, you don't know what it means to us. You don't know what it means to the world. And I'm just like, wow, this is so crazy. And she's like, I just want to give you our deepest congratulations and good luck. And we can't wait to see what you do. And do you have any questions? I said, no, I'm good. And so that's where I'm at now, and I'm in the middle of that. So I got to doing the, I got funded for the J80928, the Human Experience Exhibit. And it's going to be artwork based on my experiences, positive and negative, during my incarceration throughout the prison. In episode 34, during our first conversation with Henry, he described his early days as an artist in prison as instilling a hunger that made him want to learn more and just keep creating. It's clear that hunger has only grown in the decades since his release, as he describes the long and intense journey he's taken with his Lego prison, which was originally inspired by the animated film series Despicable Me, which, among other things, is a story of transformation and redemption. The Lego prison started off as, it, originally it was just for a minion prison because of Despicable Me 3, and so I made that. Brought it home like, I couldn't take it apart. I just couldn't. I'm like, I can't store it forever either. Like, who's gonna want to see this? And so it sat up on my little shelf here for probably about eight months. And then 
One day, I think I was working or something, and I look over, and I started hearing the noises in prison. Key guards, door, people talking, smelling the smoke. And I said, oh, wow. So I took everything out, and I rebuilt it to the three-tier yard with the tower, with the R&R &R and all that stuff. I didn't finish it until earlier this year. From So from 2019 to 2023, it took that long to create it. But it ended up being that with the perimeter fence, with three gun towers, a, a gate for the bus to go in, which opens and a bus can go through it, which I already did. And it has the front sign gate who tells you who the warden is and we can't bring in this. It's illegal to bring in guns, tobacco, all that stuff. So I got all of that in there. But at the end of the first one, I was just thinking about it. And my wife, Hun's like, how does it feel? I'm like, it feels good. She's like, yeah, I think it's been therapeutic for you because you have, you've had a shift. And I'm like, Huh, I didn't really think about it, but now I know it's like, I don't know if I so much like trapped that energy in that piece, but I put it into it and so I can see it on some of the stories that go along with it. And then the next piece, like the visiting room, because my dad used to visit me anytime he could by driving up here, sleeping in his car to save money so we could actually eat in the visiting room and stuff like that. Mm. And then the transport bus, that was my least favorite part being a yeah. big guy and all that stuff and being chained up and they just talk to you horrible on that bus uh, i think that was the place where i felt less of a human being than anywhere else in that place uh, so i created that and i did get peace from that and now i'm going to create five more pieces with the grant and i'm going to start that probably at the end of this month because my ceremony season's down and i'm exhibiting artists as well so that's slowing down for right now and i already got exhibits lined up for next year at least three as of right now well henry your first story was really about ceremony and the power of the spirit in community and it just occurs to me that your long journey with this particular artwork is a ceremony it's a ritual i mean you describe a, a healing process that it has brought to you and this is so true of a lot of the art that I encounter in my work is that this art needed to manifest in the world and you were the one that brought it into being and you needed it to be. Mm -hmm. It's not just a thing to come and look at and there's some energy there. What a powerful thing, Henry, really. Um, and I know when I look at other people's art, it's like you go on a trip with them in a, an emotional ride with them. And some pieces touch me. There are some ones that I got to stop and really like just connect with. And I think that goes for everybody. And we're at a time now where the story that we're living in is filled with pretense and illusion and distortion. And the art world is one of those places where that can happen, but the opposite can happen. The authentic roots of life can manifest right there. You know, when I first saw, you you showed me pictures of those Lego pieces, but I, it just took my breath away. Yeah. Uh, and I think people need to understand and see and hear and feel that our, our prison system, it's not a pretend thing. <laughs> it's the real thing. I knew that if people started to see it, they would go, oh, okay, this needs to be out there. So, yeah. congratulations. Thank you. Part three. 
What made you stop? Anybody who gets to know Henry Frank will recognize nature's patterns and cycles as a persistent feature of his worldview. As such, reciprocation and accountability figure strongly in his way of working. In this third set of stories, Henry reflects on the grateful giving back part of his journey. So, Henry, along with your travels and shows and conversations with community, your work with the William James Association is taking you back inside to teach. How's that going? Yeah, I'm in the California Medical Facility right now. Took me a year and a half to get in there, but I stuck with it. There was a point where I was like, no, F all this. There was some like barriers from the custody staff inside, but I waited the six months after my denial, reapplied, and had a new custody officer in place, and he was very um, supportive, and he just said, no guarantees, but if you get denied for whatever reason, you can apply again in six months. I got approved, and now I've been going in for the last four months. I got a couple more months before I can get a brown card and all that stuff to start going in by myself, but I work along with Sam Tubiolo at the site. He's the site coordinator. And he is just a great mentor and a great role model uh, from what I've seen with his interaction with staff, with his interaction with other colleagues and his interaction with his students. It's all the same. And just, I really respect that. And one thing that stuck out in my mind, the first day we went in and we went into the hospice and most people are bedridden or in wheelchairs or whatever it may be. Um, we were going through and he went into each room talking to Rayo. We're doing our program. We got some pens anytime you want that or some colored pencils. You can let me know and I'll give it to you. All right. Because that's what we're about. Creating art so you guys can do something. He was just letting them know that there are people here for them outside of the custody. Like people just come in and we're checking in with them. Let them know if they want something that we can provide it for them. If they have that outlet. Because who knows? Maybe they have that desire to draw and that will help spiritually get that hand going so they can draw. I got my own style since I'm formerly incarcerated and been through the board and stuff. So I can talk to some of the guys about that when it comes up. I'm teaching acrylics, drawing, and there's watercolor and on the hospice yard doing murals we're doing it old school like leonardo da vinci did where you would grid it out and then you would poke holes and they put it on the wall and then you rub the charcoal in and then you draw your line because it's 90 foot by i think 25 feet 90 foot long so we took this little picture that was probably about 16 inches long and then threw it on that wall and then putting down base coats and then giving it that shading and so it's just been amazing and just working with the guys so it is fantastic yeah and the thing about a mural in a place where everybody comes is that when you make a, a, a painting or a drawing you could send it home you could put it in a hobby or whatever but when you got that thing up there as a part of your larger house that's a big deal you're making mm-hmm. your mark in a way that most of them probably never imagined. One of the people that helping us before we got there, they said all he did was just lay in bed and watch TV. And since we've been there every Wednesday, he's out there already getting ready to paint on the mural. And he went rogue a little bit in a corner. And it was a shock at first. But you know what? We got to let his creativity. I mean, he lives there. Oh. Yes. Yeah, but, you know, the head doctor's like, what, can I see this, the schematic again? Because I don't remember this. And 
but Sam is awesome. Let him know the story. And it's like, we can leave that little piece there and we mm-hmm. can just paint around it, you know, but I really enjoyed that. Sam spoke up for them, spoke yeah. up for him because it's different. And that's what it's about, you know, giving the people that have voice and just amplifying it so it can be heard. So I just really enjoy that. Another manifestation of Henry's teaching is spending time sharing his story with others, particularly at conferences and gatherings devoted to raising awareness of and changing the American criminal justice system. At these events, Henry has found that learning ends up being a two-way street. This was certainly the case in July of 2020 when he was part of a panel at a conference organized by well-known writer, filmmaker, and return resident Troy Williams called Alcatraz and Mass Incarceration. Williams, who is also the founder of a justice-oriented film organization, Restorative Media, created the event to explore how the history of incarceration at Alcatraz informs us about the state of incarceration today. Troy Williams, he invited me to the speaker series on Alcatraz for return residents. And so I went out, my wife and I, and we took some artwork. And there was a lot of people there, probably like 200 plus. And I just told my story. And I started off with, don't ask me any questions that you really don't want the answers to, because I will answer them honestly. And people ask me some cool stuff and then some just question, like, what was your favorite meal and all this stuff. But at the end, when everything was clearing up, I was talking to one of the rangers, and this little kid runs up. And he kept looking at me. He said, excuse me for one second. I said, how can I help you, a little man? And so can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He's like, what is it that made you stop doing bad things? I'm like, what? He's like, what is it that made you stop doing bad things? I was like, wow, that's a very com- complex, complicated <laughs> question. Do I want to talk to him like he would understand it? I mean, what do I say to this little guy? And I stopped and I thought just for a second and I looked at him. I said, I found the value in my life. I said, once I found the value in my life, I could see the value in other people's lives. And even if I can't see it like physically or what they're doing, I know it's there because I know mine's here. And that's what made me stop doing bad things. He's like, thank you. And he just ran off and went back to his mom. And I'm just like, whoa. That was intense. I said, I wonder what was going on in that little man's life, yeah. you know, to ask that question. Yeah. Who knows? But I was just like, man, he like put me on the well, spot. You know, Henry, it, that's not unlike when the bear just shows up in the valley. Mm-hmm. That little kid had some things he needed to do. Maybe he had some things he needed to do for you. It's true. Recently, the California Medical Facility at Vacaville, California, which is a prison, presented a unique event called Prison Palooza. The gathering brought together staff, community members, and the incarcerated population in what might be best described as an all-day community music and food festival. The event garnered quite a lot of attention and a few questions for Henry at a UC Santa Cruz panel on prison reform. I was just at UC Santa Cruz on a prison panel there. And at the end of it, one of the uh, people asked me, he said, why CMF had a prison palooza, which was out on the yard. And there was booths. There was the AIC booth. There was a parole booth where you could come up and ask questions, food on the yard, concert. It was really close thing I can say. It was like a art, wine and music festival without the, the wine. 
it was just really cool and the warden all of the administrators were pretty much on the yard and talking to people they were dancing to the music just like everybody else i mean it was just really phenomenal something i would not ever think i would see in my lifetime oh. and so somebody asked like what's the point of it why would you do that for people inside it's a it's a sign that the culture is shifting in there and it's a sign that gives people hope that are in there and why does that matter to you because you don't want somebody coming out with no hope you want people to come out with the the desire to stay out here the desire to connect with other people like he connected with people on that yard and i said why do i come here and talk to university students i mean what really could I give you from my life experience? You're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. You're going to get a degree. You're going to get a career. But maybe you'll end up in Sacramento. You might end up in Washington. You might be a politician. You might be a judge. You might be a law enforcement. You might even be a correctional officer. And maybe you're not seeing people as animals or these monsters. You're going to remember me sitting here 10 years out after a life sentence. And here I am taking my time out so I can share my life with you just in case you're on the wrong course and maybe you can course correct so you don't have to go through what I went through. Mm. And then I said, most importantly, I am going to assume most of you are going to be parents one day. Mm. And what is it you're going to teach your children about people inside of prisons? And I hope with us, not just me, but all four of us up here sharing our story that you can share a humanistic way of explaining what incarceration is to your child. Mm. So that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. And that's where they ended it. And Henry, I think that might be a good place for us to end. Are you ready to come in for a landing? I'm good. And thanks so much for coming back and giving us an update on what's been happening for you and your community over the past few years. Really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your sharing your Red Tail Medicine song that we heard throughout. And to you listeners, I'm truly thankful to those of you who've taken a few moments out of your busy lives to share these stories and conversations. And of course, if you really dig it and want more, please follow or subscribe for free in your preferred podcast listening app. And if you are totally obsessed with what we're up to, you can explore our entire archive based on your specific interests, like youth arts, cultural organizing, prison arts, change-making media, and nine other categories in our Change the Story collection, which you can find in our show notes and at www.artandcommunity.com under the podcast dropdown. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community. Our theme and soundscape spring forth from the head, heart, and hands of the maestro Judy Munson. Our text editing is by Andre Nebe. Our effects come from freesound.org, and our inspiration rises up from the ever-present spirit of OOC 235.